This episode is super powered by you, our loyal listeners. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you want to enjoy the show more, give us feedback. Like, who do you want to hear from more? Like, what kind of topics do you want to hear more about? Fill out the form in the show notes. It's like a little survey. Like, ask you a few questions. You can tell us what you think. Let's do it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ari, and today on our panel, we have Alex. Hello. Tessa. Hello. And today, our special guest is Debbie O'Brien. Debbie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to do that because the script says, Debbie O'Brien says hello. So I just went, okay, let's go with it. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Can we redo mine? I have to say hi. Oh, yeah. yeah, you got it all wrong. I was the only one who did it right. I wasn't looking at the script. I'm sorry. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> yeah, let me introduce myself. Right. So yeah, I am Debbie O'Brien. You should all know me by now. If you don't know me, then you have not been working with Nuxt because that's what you would have known me for. I used to work at Nuxt as a developer advocate and uh, did a lot of content creation on Nuxt. And I now work at Bit as a developer advocate. And I'm basically based in Mallorca in Spain, but I'm Irish, as you can probably tell by my accent. And uh, yeah, I love traveling the world and speaking at conferences and just doing cool things and working with the tech community and open source and having fun. And I don't know, what else do you want to know about me? (laughs) Oh, I'm sure we'll find out lots throughout the episode (laughs) because today's topic is developer advocacy and what the heck is that? So let's start with the round table. What does being a developer advocate mean to each of you? Let's start with Alex. It means that you get a lot of really cool avocado stickers is my understanding. Oh, no. I I don't have an avocado sticker. What? Not a real developer advocate. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. So avocado stickers. Tessa. (laughs) Well, Alex is completely wrong. Developer advocates are obviously, they're like YouTube stars, right? They're just in it for the fame. They're not creative. They just want to stand up on stage and look really pretty and really cool and make lots of famous friends because they're super famous and everybody loves them because they're famous. And they also have really nice sunglasses. (laughs) I do not have nice sunglasses. Oh, well, I guess you're doing it wrong. I need new ones. You're not taking any of these boxes, Debbie. Okay, Debbie, what is it for you? Are you not going to answer? I'd like to hear your answer first. I'm still not entirely sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I wanted to hear it. (laughs) So my impression of it is that basically you guys just get to make things and then share it with people. (laughs) Now that is me. You got it right. You got it so right, Ari. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a topic that's like, it's really hard to actually say exactly what a developer advocate is because it's such a new role and it's a role that's kind of changed over, especially over the last year, especially with COVID and everything that happened, it changed the whole world and the developer advocate role changed too, because all of a sudden companies need to get their product out to developers and they're not getting it to the conferences as much as they would like to, et cetera. So you need more people to advocate for your product and also 
people are creating really cool stuff. So there's a lot of really cool new products that you want developers using. So the developer advocate is really like, I like to kind of think of it as like, so we have a salesperson in our company, right? And he always says, you do the same job as me. You're a salesperson. I'm like, I am not a salesperson. But in a way, we kind of are the same because we both advocate for the product. We both describe the product, talk about it, talk to people about it, et cetera, and share our knowledge about it. The main difference is that the salesperson cares about money and the developer advocate doesn't care anything about money. I don't care about money. So I'm going to talk to you about Bit. I'm going to tell you how cool Bit is and how you should use it. And if you walk away from that and decide never to use it, I don't really care because it's like, <laughs> I don't care if you're going to like spend money and do the cloud and do the enterprise and, and have 20 people on your team and all that. It does not interest me. But what I do care about is if you're using the product and it's not working the way it should, or there's a feature that's missing, or you don't understand things because it's not very well documented or there's no good demo, then I care about it. So I care about the developers. I like to say I work for the developers. You, everyone, all these developers out there in the world are like my bosses in a way. <laughs> and I happen to just get paid by someone else. And that's the way I like to see my role. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like with sales, right, the way that I've seen the job done nowadays is the purpose of a salesperson isn't to create more salespeople. Although I think ideally, if you were a great salesperson, then you would make people excited about your product. But with developer advocacy, I almost feel like a lot of it is creating like sleeper cell advocates like across different companies that are excited about your product and are like advocating for it because you create a good experience for them. And they like trust you to look out for their needs. Yeah. And I mean, you could have people who are not paid. Like I get paid, thank God, because otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't be able to survive. Right. But you could have someone who's advocating for something. And, and the same with Nuxt. I was advocating for Nuxt way before I was employed by Nuxt. I was speaking at conferences. I was writing blog posts. I was creating material in my free time and I was advocating for Nooks and I got absolutely nothing. I didn't get any sunglasses or any avocado stickers and I was kind of like an, an, an advocate. And then I got employed by Nooks, right? So then, it, you know, it And they still didn't became... give you any sunglasses or avocado stickers. Yeah, still... Unbelievable. <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> I got triangles though. Does that count? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of like, different, right? One of the things as well, like some of the team like say to me, what are your KPIs, right? I don't even know what a KPI is. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And like, I don't have, indicator. is that what it is? I just go like, don't do KPIs. I thought they were packets of crisps, KP crisps or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I never knew what it stood for. But yeah, I can't put KPIs on my job. If someone says to me, like at the end of the month, how many blog posts are you going to have written? How many videos are you going to have created? How many demos? How many conference talks, how many podcasts, I can't give that kind of information, because my job changes so much. And it varies so much depending on the needs, the needs change a lot, because the product is new, and it's growing. So today, I'm on a podcast, that's something cool at the end of the month, I, I do it the other way around, I do my KPIs at the end of the month, at the end of the month, this is what I did, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you always but have I, targets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I never set myself on these. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's very hard to measure. And I did have friends who are developer advocates who came to me with this fear because, you know, their company, it was new for their company to have developer advocates. And they were like being told, right, we need you to write three blog posts a month and we need you to do this. And, and I was like, tell them no, maybe one month you might write 10 blog posts. I did that with Nuxt. I wrote 10. I wrote a blog post a day, every day. When we were in lockdown, it was like my just get me out of lockdown. So I was like, I'm going to write a blog post one a day, every day, kind of help me survive. I don't know. It was weird. It was mad. But 
that's something that I could do, you know, and then I didn't write a blog post for like six months, right? (laughs) So everything is different and you can't measure those things. And I think companies are getting to be more aware of the fact that you have to let the developer advocate just go free and they will do a great job and they will come up with new ideas and new things and the creativity will just happen. But if you set KPIs, that's just like giving them tickets. It's like, I don't do tickets. Yeah, your description of the way you do KPIs kind of reminds me of, I don't remember the joke, but I heard a joke once about like throwing a dart and then painting the target around it. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like KPIs are kind of, it's that classic criticism of measuring something because it's measurable rather than measuring the things that you need to keep track of. Like it's just quantitative data, but does it really mean anything? With your blog post example, let's say a team was told that they had to put out a blog post every two weeks but they don't have any kind of overarching goal or any kind of vision for what they want their community to be like or what they want people to be excited about. Like, is that achieving anything except for some kind of like security blanket that like, okay, we're putting out content regularly, right? That's inherently good. We're doing a good job. We're good developer advocates. Like, I'm not so sure. Yeah, you can't measure it short term. You really have to like, you'll know like in a couple of months time if you're making impact because people are using the product, developers are talking about it, you're creating you're creating a community at the end of the day. And especially like in the product I'm working on, it's open source. So, you know, you're really focusing on the community. And if you start seeing people using, you know, GitHub discussions, for example, I've done my job just because two people replied in a GitHub discussion. That for me is a like, wow, there you go. I've, I've reached a target, you know? <laughs> we should do an episode on measuring developer performance in general, because whew, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah. It's very different as well, because I came from an agency work where I literally had to clock in every 15 minutes of work. Ooh, Everything oh was clocked in and invoiced to like, you know, clients. So almost literally like going to the bathroom, literally like stop the clock, go to the bathroom, come back. And it's crazy, right? So you're literally logging in. You knew exactly how many minutes a day you worked for what company, for what project, for what client and how long everything took. I swear to God, you'd spend about 45 minutes a day just logging time and you waste so much time doing it. It's almost just not worth it. And now I don't do anything. My first developer job was at an agency and I had the exact same experience, only I was in sort of like the support department. So it was like, okay, cool. I worked 10 minutes on this project and then I switched to another project. So that was another 15 minutes. And then I worked on this other project and that was 30 minutes. And then I answered an email from this client. So that was 10 minutes. And then I was just like, oh, I didn't work in an agency, but I also had to log hours, but not minutes, just like a rough estimation of hours. But a lot of people would just save it till the end of the month and then take a day to write in all of their hours and just like, I don't know, no matter how you did it, it was awful. Some places also have software that they put on your screens to monitor it. And I guess maybe if you log hours, it could be convenient if you're doing it to yourself, because then you don't have to write things down. Although I would find that very stressful, but especially if like your manager is doing it. So we've established all the wrong ways to measure performance. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious, what drew people to be developer advocates? Like why make the transition from, you know, developer on a product to advocating for a product? I think for me, it was a little bit different because I went from developer to team lead and team lead. I ended up doing like lots of consultancy work, which was great, but also lots of team leading. And don't get me wrong, I love people, but I was people managing more than I was developing. And it just was like, that's not what I want to do. I was like holidays, hours, someone's sick, cover this, an agency like needed this project done. And oh, one thing I hated as well was estimating timings of how long it's going to take to build that application or whatever, or that page. It's like, I don't know. 
two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. So I hated what I was doing in that respect, but I loved what I was doing when I was consulting with the clients and stuff. And I loved when I was at conferences. So I started like thinking about what is the part of my job I love and what is the part of the job that I don't like? And then try and look at what kind of job fits the job that I love. And everything seemed to fit into developer advocate. And it was like, this is what I love. Now, it could have been developer experience. I mean, there's developer relations. I kind of find them all very, very similar, although they're kind of similar, but little, maybe little differences. Any of those would have suited except team lead and even architect. And I love doing architecture, but I want to be building. I don't want to be just consulting. I want to also be building. So there was a lot of things that just for me, it just made sense because that's what I wanted. Anyone else want to chime in? <laughs> for me, it was I was organizing meetups and realized that it'd be really great if someone would pay me to organize meetups. You're in it for the money. <laughs> like, I, what I learned is that I really hate solving my own problems and I really enjoy solving other people's problems. Mm -hmm. Don't we and, all? Yeah, and I feel like that, that there's a there's a good part of developer advocacy where people go like, I'm having this issue and you get to go, cool, let me fix that for you, right? And like... Here's different ways that you can approach it. Use the one that works best for you, right? So you want it to become a professional tweeter, right? Because I've heard yeah. people on Twitter really love to solve other people's problems, even if you don't ask them to, or if you tell them, please don't solve my problem. They'll come yeah, bashing yeah, yeah. down your door like, hey, here's what you're doing wrong with your life. Yes, I wanted to be a professional reply guy. Is sort of the, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like talking with people and seeing what problems other people are having and helping them come up with solutions. So that's what got me into doing developer advocacy and experience and stuff. Yeah, I guess similar to Alex, like both in the tech world and in the art world, I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I became an engineer or I became an animator. But when I was a kid, I didn't know you could do that as a job. I was just like, what? <laughs> but I guess I can't really be that surprised because I was spending a lot of time prepping talks and planning meetups. And then I found out you can get paid for that. And I was like, what? And again, you're in it for the money. <laughs> right. Well, also, I really miss working in like, I don't think sales is really the right word, but working in shops and working with customers and like helping them pick out things that they wanted and helping them solve their problems. There's a new problem every single day. And also back to Debbie's point about liking people, you know, sometimes even if you like people, it's hard to work with people. But when you work in a store... Even if you have a hard time, they go away eventually, right? You don't have to stick <laughs> with them like every day of the year for the rest of your life. And so I just, I miss working with people and I miss the dynamism of working with different people and different problems every single day. I would just like to take this opportunity to say there's absolutely nothing wrong with being in a job for the money. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to also love it, that's great. <laughs> but if you don't, that's okay too. You're not a developer advocate, Arina. I am not. I'm just a uh, you know, regular old run-of-the-mill developer at a healthcare analytics company. So do you have this? Because it's very trendy right now. Everyone seems to want to be a developer advocate, which I don't understand. Everyone, it's like, it's wow. The it's the sunglasses, like, Debbie. I, but I'm not getting those sunglasses. It may be for the stickers, but I don't know. There's a lot of people and it's something people are wanting to get into as their like first job, as opposed to coming up the roles of like having done other stuff. And then trying to transition over, which is totally fine, right? But it's like, what is attracting people? Or what do you think is attracting people 
to this role? Or maybe you're thinking like, oh my God, I'd hate to do that role. I personally, I don't think I would like it. I don't like creating content, which I realize there's a bit of irony in that, you know, I am a panelist on a podcast, but that's different. It's totally different. Can you give talks? <laughs> I gave a talk and I don't know that I will do that again. I don't know. <laughs> I might. I might. I'm not going to say never. It could happen. But I think maybe people are burned out on the sort of typical tech role. At least I would have to imagine because I know I was, I hated my last job and I've made no secret about that. And apparently the people I worked for found out and they disconnected from me on LinkedIn. And I'm like, wow, that's petty. But you know what? I hated it there. So (laughs) 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 I, but now I have a job that I really love, but had I not found that in my next role, I could definitely see wanting to explore other avenues in tech. You know, that's interesting you say that because one of the reasons as well was that I just needed to get out of the company that I was in. Obviously not Nuxt, right? Nuxt was great. The one before that. Yes, we want to be very clear. say the name? We like Nuxt. <laughs> want to be very clear. And if Nuxt hadn't come along, something else would have, as in I was like already looking, just Nuxt was the perfect choice at the time. But I was trying to get out of where I was because I was not happy, not just doing the job, but also with the people I was working with. Do you know what? At the time, I did think it was the people. And then I bought a book, which is a really cool book. And I can't remember the name because I have it here. But it's Surrounded by Idiots, right? It's a really good book, (laughs) right? And I was going through so many problems of trying to manage people. And people put you in a manager team lead role without telling you how to lead people. So all of a sudden, you've got to lead developers just because you're the one with the most experience or the most knowledgeable or whatever. And that's not the right thing to do. But that's what companies do. So I'm leading these people and these people are not like me. And I didn't understand that they were not like me. And I just wanted like a team of Debbies, right? And apparently (laughs) that's not possible. (laughs) I mean, maybe if you set up like a fun house in your room with like mirrors everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know, we were working with Nooks and at the time and I was like, right, everyone, here's a course in Nooks at the weekend, go and study this. And like a Monday, we'll try and implement these features, you know, and I'd come in on Monday and nobody had done the course I suggested. Nobody'd watched the talk. Nobody. I'm like, what? I couldn't understand that somebody wouldn't want to spend their free time just working with Nooks. But I was in love with my job and my job was my hobby and everything was the same. And other people were actually doing a job as a job. Five o'clock came and they didn't want to know anything about tech until next Monday. Nothing, not even Twitter, nothing. They didn't want to know. And it was very hard for me to understand. Yeah, it was, I couldn't understand it. I was like, why are you not all like me? I fought so hard to get here. I've struggled to get to this position. So that book really helped me because it helped me show that there are different types of people and it separates them out by colors. And I'm like a red and a yellow. I'm just go, just fire, just, yeah. And other people are like greens and blues and they're like the typical kind of people are a bit more relaxed but also like different problem thinkers. So I would change, right? You know, Nooks 3 is out, for example, very soon. Let's move all our apps to Nooks 3, for example. That'd be me, right? And someone else would be like, hang on a moment, but should we not test this out? And let's give it a six months. And and we need those people as well. But trying to manage people who are not like yourself can be very difficult if you don't understand how people work. And that book really helps you understand how people work. So I recommend that to anyone who's leading. So yeah, I just wanted to get out of what I was in. And that for me was, I need to look for something. And also I needed to look for something outside of Mallorca because we don't have a lot of companies here, right? So you're very limited to what you can do. So the developer advocacy role is one that was primarily a kind of a remote type job before the world went remote. 
So it's the kind of one that you might be able to get into as opposed to a developer working remotely would just wasn't going to happen like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Also, I think that book might have been your pick the last time you were on the show. So loyal listeners will have read it already, right? Right? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) It's an amazing book. Yeah. That's an interesting point because I think it also plays into time zones and things, especially with people that have to work in the office. Like maybe... I don't know if anybody in this group would know what I'm talking about, but maybe some people are, you know, are read at night. They're like ready to go at 2 a.m. And then it's like 8 a.m. And they're like, I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in bed all day. So and that, that can be There's tough a as well. normal people who wake up at five o'clock in the morning and... Five is normal? I wake up between six and 6.30, but not because I want to. <laughs> I would like to make that super clear. <laughs> I'm a 7 a.m. person so I can get up and go and do sport. Yeah, oh, no. I, my first oh, meeting's no. at 8 a.m. <laughs> every day, so. No, I wake up between like 6 and 7, realistically, and then I play video games for like two hours, and then I, I go to work, so. Yeah, I have to do something in the morning before doing other things. Yes. Do you think a person can be a developer advocate if they're the type of person that is only doing it for the job, like 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, or whatever hours you choose, and not do anything outside of their working hour? Like, is it the type of job that consumes your life? Because for me, it does consume my life, but I love that, so that's cool. And a lot of the people I know in developer advocates, it also consumes their life because they're always doing other stuff, weekends, free time, et cetera. There's also a lot of developer advocates that are kind of in the middle where like, it seems like it consumes their life, but they also balance it out by doing things for themselves during the day. Like if they know they're going to do something at night. It reminds me of discussions about pricing art in the art world or like getting paid for a job versus an unpaid internship because it's like you want everybody to get paid. But at the same time, if somebody, especially newer to the field, is undercharging, charging really low prices, then a lot of people resent them because they're dragging down the prices, even though it's not necessarily their fault, but more like the ecosystem undervaluing art and they just need to make money. And I feel like it can be similar with this field. Like I think as it continues expanding, there will be increasing amount of room for people who are like, I just want to clock in nine to five and go home, especially at newer companies that are creating a new developer advocate team. I think because they're new to it, they want to treat it like a regular product engineering team and just give like top down orders and you follow it. So people who are looking for a job, they just want to do nine to five. I think that would fit the bill. But then on the other hand, that might also continue to propagate and build up and change this impression of what developer advocacy is into something else, like what we were talking about earlier with the KPIs. Clocking hours. <laughs> I think some of it also is it depends It depends on who your target audience is, too. If you are doing something where you want all developers, any developer anywhere to be able to use the thing, right? Then yeah, being a developer advocate you want to be where the people are all the time, right? You need to be sort of like over the top about it. But then if you're in a company that's a very large enterprise and you are a developer advocate for the thing that your company makes for other companies, talking about it at non-work hours, like you're not going to be able to go to a regular person and be like, hey, we can now manage all of your enterprise needs for things. And people on the street are just going to be like, I have like, $20 in my wallet right now. I don't have enterprise problems. I have people problems, right? And so like the audience for that is just completely different. Okay, but to be fair, we're also not stopping random strangers on the street to talk to them about VJS, right? 
Oh, we're Thank not God. supposed to? Oh. Oh. No. And we oh, don't sell. We don't care about the, money. That's the we mistake I've been making. Okay. We care about developers. Yeah. Okay. I'll stop grabbing people on the street. And... <laughs> Who's your boss? What are they making you do? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, going back to your other question, Debbie, a lot of people that I've noticed in the circles that I run and that are wanting to move into developer advocacy tends to be newer to the industry. And I find also a lot of career changers, both wanting to enter into developer advocacy and also already working in developer advocacy. So I wonder if it's also something attractive about like, not just having to code all day, but also being able to leverage your other pre-existing skills and strengths. It's interesting because when I was first looking for my first job, there was somebody who's going to be on the show later, actually, who their first job in tech was as a tech evangelist. And so I got a sneak preview into that life, but I didn't know anything about the tech world or what I would be interested in or what I would be allowed to find as a job, I guess, if that makes sense. But I think also after having entered the tech field and like having a lot of friends that gave talks and stuff and knowing that I don't have to do it only in my free time, but I can do it during work hours so I can have actual free time. I still don't have actual free time. Um, (laughs) It felt really appealing. But also I think a part of it was, I don't know, I think this is probably really uncommon. And like, if it is common, a big secret in tech, but I think... There are a lot of people in tech that don't necessarily have the best experiences and they might be worse for you if you are, say, not a man or if you're a person of color. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're being a bit facetious, but I think for that as well, at least for me personally, I was like, I don't know if I like being a tech worker or not. Like, do I enjoy this? Am I good at this? It's kind of hard to tell because it's hard to separate like your experience in a work environment with your colleagues from the thing itself. So yeah, I guess that was kind of a roundabout way of saying like, I wonder if people are also moving into that field because they see more opportunities to like expand their circle of people that they work with and expand their experiences. And they see people like on stage or on videos looking like they're having fun. And they're like, I want to have fun too. I want those sunglasses. (laughs) It's a very good point because it's like the developer advocate is very free and not part of the main team of the developers or the product team or whatever, they're involved. So you're still part of all those teams, but you're not like, you know, you don't have to fit in as much. You can be very free. So that's, yeah, it's a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I gave a talk because it looked like y'all were having so much fun. I was like, nope, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Granted, I managed to look like I was having fun while doing it, but immediately after, just dead inside. (laughs) I wonder if we only like we're having fun because it means that we can't edit our slides anymore. So we don't have to worry about it anymore because it's too late. (laughs) Yeah, we can stop the editing of the slides and just do the thing. I think for me, some of it, too, is that I did theater for 15 years. And yeah, I know. Right. You've never mentioned that before. before. (laughs) So. But part of that is that every month you're working on something different and your friends are the people that you work with. And if you want to hang out with somebody, you go work a show with them. That's how it works. And I did that for so long that I'm so used to being like, I want to hang out with the people that I work with. And then you get to jobs in an office and you're like, no, no, I don't. And so trying to refine that, like people who have the same interests that I do and doing that stuff. You want to work with a load of Debbies as well. 
yes. the same, right? You yes. just want Alex's. <laughs> I, well, no, I want a room of Debbie's, but yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I want people who are share the same passion. Yes, are as excited about things as I am. Yes. And former jobs, I'd be like, "Oh, there's this really cool thing," and they'd be like, "It's not PHP. I don't care, right?" And yeah. you're like, "But nah. okay, yeah." Or you hold a meetup in your company, and you're like, you know, you go to all the trouble, and you get someone flying over to the meetup, and they're all excited, and they're like, seven o'clock. Now I finish at five. See you later. And you're like, "What? See you yeah. in the office. You don't have to travel anywhere." It's like, come on. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. But I think that's an important thing. You get to work with people who are like-minded like you. And and it's very true. All developer advocates I've met, I could so happily work with them. I th- they're, they're like my team. They become your, your team. And you're just like, I don't know, you just gel, right? Ari, look what you're missing out on. <laughs> I'm very happy. <laughs> you start figuring out who you control and how you troll them too. That's the other fun part of being a developer advocate. And I think you're also always learning. I don't know, Ari, maybe you're also still learning. So I don't, I don't mean to say you're not. I am. <laughs> not me. I'm done learning. I've learned all the things. <laughs> Nothing left. I didn't know you were a white man. <laughs> but yeah, I think because it's one of the other things as well is that you get to play with the shiny new cool toys. So you're never going to be a developer advocate and have to go and work with jQuery or some like old tech stack and and be stuck doing things not the way you want to do them. So I think you get to make an impact and get to push things forward and work in the more modern, cool, shiny, cool things. And that's definitely a seller. I'm just going to say working at a startup, you get that too. I'd like to hear more about that because I feel like there is a lot of concern in the developer relations community about developer advocates not being able to relate to the developers that they're marketing to because they are always working on greenfield small projects and they never have like legacy, heavy, big, giant, sprawling apps. And also on that note, I feel like in developer advocacy, there is this problem of there not really being any any junior roles. And I've also heard like some advocates believe that you need to have a lot of experience in the engineering world before you can become an advocate. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to be a good advocate. So I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are on like experience and being able to empathize with and help developers. Tessa, that's a lot of questions thrown in all at once. <laughs> yep. Right. Let me answer the first one. The cool thing about my job and working at Bit is the fact that what we've built is a way for you to share and collaborate on components, but also that you, it's basically creating a developer environment for you, a better workflow. So we're encouraging you to test components, to write documentation for components, and basically to write better code and to think component driven. So you're building components and doing everything in isolation. So we're actually helping those companies that are working in jQuery, that are working in these legacy stacks, we're helping them migrate over and actually have a better life, which is kind of really nice. So that's a really, really cool part of my job that like we get to share this cool tool that we're using. But this tool, we're basically saying, my, I'm advocating it to you to say, like, get out of jQuery, get out of where you are, come and work with this better way of working and we'll help you do it. And this is the tool that's going to help you do it. So that's kind of my take on that. <laughs> I'll speak to my perceptions. You know, as just a plain old just developer. Just a developer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Something that my manager and I have talked about a lot in terms of when we're looking to hire someone 
is someone who has spent enough time on one project to have to live with their mistakes. Because <laughs> there is a very specific value in knowing that your decision was probably the right decision at the time, but it doesn't always end up being what works in the long run. And having to kind of learn <laughs> learn from your mistakes and feel the pain of your mistakes, <laughs> I think it, it is a different perspective as a developer. And so, yes, there are times where I do not feel a lot of people who are, you know, just doing toy projects on a constant basis. I feel like it is a very different quality of developer. Do I envy that to some point? Of course I do. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't love dealing with past Ari's mistakes, <laughs> but I do think it makes me a better developer. That being said, I think it is valuable to have all different perspectives being represented in a discussion people who haven't had to live with their mistakes, people who are just optimistic and always get to do greenfield stuff. <laughs> because some of us can get very jaded. And so I really think that's Not that you just, though. No, me, never. Mm -mm. I think that maybe experience doesn't matter as much as empathy when it comes to being a good developer advocate. Yeah, and I agree. It's really important to hire a developer who's been working for at least a couple of days so they can be like, who wrote this code? And then they'll see that it says you yesterday. And you can be like, well, it made sense yesterday. <sighs> Truth. Having worked on small, medium, and large code bases, I know one of the big things that I think you need to keep in mind when you're doing like developer advocacy and stuff is like, okay, how do you integrate this with an already existing project, right? Because you're right. There are so many things where when you do create a greenfield thing, you just go, oh, okay, like create use the view command line and create a new application. Works on my computer. And, yeah, and it, whatever, <laughs> like, done. Like, boom, okay, cool, I've made an example, move on. But like, okay, cool, I need a build process that bundles a gulp thing, that like bundles stuff into a gulp process that is using stuff from 10 gulp, years ago. Gulp, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Flashbacks. That's a whole different beast. I thought that and died. <laughs> nope, nope. They came out with version four. It was slightly different. It was a whole thing. I did an upgrade. It was fun. And yeah, so knowing, okay, it's great that it's easy to like make a new thing, but how do I take this and put it into a pre-existing thing? And so getting someone who has at least, in my opinion, they should at least have the experience of like, okay, at least look at an older code base, you know, look at a code base that's been around a while and understand that you can't always just throw everything away. Yeah, so. this is yeah. why when your question says about junior developer advocates, I do think there's a role for junior developer advocates, but I don't think a company should only have junior developer advocates. Like I do think that you have to have just like a company should have like not just junior developers, but also some senior developers, you need a mix. I do think there's place for a mix because I think the junior developers and before like the Debbie of like three years ago would have said, no, you have to have five years experience and, you know, you follow the book and you, but things have changed. And there's a very clever people coming into the tech world, very creative people who are better than me at creating videos and creating content. You're like, well, why stop them from doing that? They have a great way of explaining things and doing that. Yes. They might not have, you know, five years experience of actually building something, but that's not necessarily important specifically for that job but they should listen obviously to the seniors and kind of be involved in those calls and 
learn about the old code so that they can make that connection with people like Ari who's stuck in that legacy world. <laughs> that maybe the most successful model for like a junior developer advocate program would be one at a company large enough that could have them do product rotations. Mm-hmm. Because I do, I do think that there some experience as a developer on a product is necessary in order to be an effective developer advocate. But if you know that you want to go the one direction, I mean, there should be a program that lets you do all of that all in one. Or there should probably be a starter role. Like maybe it's not a junior developer advocate. Maybe it's like content creator. And then you kind of like go up because you could be a very, very, very good content creator, not necessarily be a developer advocate. And I think there there is a little bit of differences between them as well. Because the developer advocate creates content, but not just creates content, does a lot of the building and the demos and speaking at conferences. And maybe you don't ever want to speak at a conference. You can still be a developer advocate. And that's totally fine, Ari. We'll still have you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to say, like, I think there is room for that kind of separation and that maybe a product rotation wouldn't necessarily be the best for a junior developer advocate. Like it could be. But for example, I don't think you need to have that experience to write like a getting started guide. And to make those really good. And maybe as teams get larger, there can be room for more niches and specialization in certain areas. And then so for some roles, like more product engineering experience would be necessary than other roles. I was just going to say, that's a really good point about the getting started guides and that being extremely well suited to a junior. Yeah. And and one of the reasons why Bit hired me was because I don't know Bit. So they don't want to hire someone that knows it to be able to explain it because They just explain it. And when they explain it to me, it blows my mind. I'm like, what are you saying to me, right? Whereas I'm able to explain it to you because I've learned it from the ground up rather than like knowing everything. So if you want someone to really teach you something like beginner style, take someone who's never used the product. It's the best thing you can do. And they learn it. Rachel Nabra is actually doing it with the React, with the new docs. And she didn't have any React experience. And she's building the React docs. And I've had a little glimpse of, she's going to do an amazing job because like she's putting on Twitter a couple of things of her diagrams and it's just, you look at it and go, wow, I understand this. So yeah, I do think there is a place. Fun fact, she is scheduled to be on the show to talk about that specifically. We're very excited. Oh my God. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) She's great. (laughs) Yeah. I think no one will have as much empathy for the frustrations of trying to get something new working and it not integrating with everything else as a new developer or developer advocate. But on the other hand, only having worked at small companies, like I'm not really sure what the experience is like at a larger company, like the stuff Alex was talking about. I feel like I've seen a lot of that. But when I talk to friends that are working at giant fintech corps, for example, it's like they work on one small part of one small component over the course of weeks or months. So I'm I'm just like, I don't understand how people like market to those developers or how, how they get new tech incorporated into their stacks. But yeah, I think empathy touches on one of the really big, big skills, which is one thing that I heard was like, if you don't have experience, then when developers are telling you their problems, you won't be able to understand or empathize. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't had the experience yet where somebody assumes that I'm a recruiter, but people will just walk up to me and start (laughs) telling me their problems. And like, they don't know anything about me at that point, right? I'm a stranger, but it doesn't seem to matter. Like, I think we're people and we have feelings, even if we want to pretend we don't want to. And The most important thing is having somebody that you feel like is listening to your problems and cares about them. And then that itself is a really powerful driver. And whether they have a lot of knowledge or not, they'll be energized by that to help figure out what your issue is, I think. But how does one get into being a junior developer advocate if these roles don't even exist? And these people, they really love the role. They probably are going to be amazing at it. Where do they 
go? Do they just start being a developer and do all that content creation in their free time and eventually hope for the best? Isn't that how you did it? (laughs) Well, I didn't know the job existed when I first started. So I was just developing to be a developer. And then that came along because I need to get out of it. So, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I do think that, yes, you do need to be creating things in your free time and for free. Yes. But maybe that world will change. I mean, change y'all want to see, you know, make it happen where you are. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In my experience, all you have to do is take over two meetup groups and then there you go. Your problem solved. You've got your uh, developer advocacy platform already started. See, in my experience, you just have to meet somebody that you never think you're going to talk to again. And then five years later, they pull you into something or other. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just being a hater today. Jeez. (laughs) I think a lot of developer advocacy depends on who you know. So I honestly Mm -hmm. don't know how people get into it at a lower level because I was trying for several years to switch to developer relations. Although we do do have somebody. I do know some (laughs) people or I know people who know people. Uh, We do have someone coming (laughs) on who seems to have gotten into developer relations early on in their career. So I'm excited to hear what they have to say about that. But yeah, honestly, I don't know, because even who you know, a lot of times depends on you going to conferences and, you know, having the finances and the time and the opportunity to go to a conference and happen to be in the same room with the the people that can help you and then they're remembering you and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's just, it's really hard to get into. Literally, and I have how a lot of friends in here. the field. <laughs> yeah, I was very lucky because even though the job that I was in, like had its problems, I did have a very good manager who allowed me to go to all the conferences and, you know, gave me the time off. And because I was speaking, obviously the expenses were covered, so it wasn't costing the company any money, right? But they allowed me to go to quite a lot of conferences. So I got to meet, they almost paved the path for me to be able to get into developer relations. So (laughs) I have something to thank them for, which is great. But definitely, I got offered the job at Nuxt pretty much at the Amsterdam, the View Amsterdam conference. That's how it started. If I hadn't have gone to the View Amsterdam conference, would they have called me enough for me the job? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it all comes from the speaker room conversations. And the speaker room is the place to be if you're looking for dev advocacy roles, which is going to come back, hopefully, the speaker rooms. And we will be able to have those kind of conversations. And that's when you can kind of say safely to someone, I'm looking to change jobs. I'm looking to get into dev advocacy do you know of anyone or anything and then word spreads from there yeah although if you look at a lot of speaker panels as well that's that also tends to be an exclusive group in more ways than just who's a speaker but also like who gets picked to be a speaker but i think one other challenging and exciting thing about being a developer advocate is that you always have to be learning to an even greater extent than developers maybe so debbie i know Mm. that you've been learning react recently and I'm, i'm curious how you've been going about that and how that experience has been for you Rude. Just rude, Tessa. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I want to know. So basically I was, and I don't like to put myself at the top. I'd say I'm amazing or anything like that, but I'm going to paint this picture because it's important to paint it this way. But I was basically at the very top of the mountain in Nuxt and I was the expert pretty much level of Nuxt. I mean, there were always still Debbie things to Nuxt learn O'Brien. for sure. Debbie Nuxt <laughs> O'Brien, that was me, right? And then I literally... It's like I got on skis and I just went downhill all the way to the bottom of the mountain and I became a junior developer who couldn't even make a component, who literally did not know what was going on. I was writing the wrong syntax all the time. I did not know what was going on. The children were driving me mad. Why the hell are there children in React? We don't have children in view. The children were <laughs> killing me. Um, 
<laughs> it was just, there were things like, what is happening here? It was very hard for me, actually. And the docs were terrible. And I spoke to Rachel Navers about it. And I went, I cannot learn React because it's too bloody complicated. And that's when she told me, I'm working on new docs. You'll be able to learn it when they're released. And when was that? Four months later, like, you know, you got to wait four months to learn React. Come on, I need to learn React now. How can I do this? So it was very frustrating. It was very difficult because you're in a situation where you're you're under pressure to learn it, right? And you're now in this role and you're gotta, you've got to work with it every day and everything is strange and you don't know what's going on. And before you were like, I know what I'm doing. I've got this. And now you're like, what the hell? My brain was fried every day. I now consider myself a, I would say junior plus developer in React. I'm pretty much there. Yeah, I can create components and I can create applications. Don't get me into hooks and things like that. I'm not really there yet. I've done one hook, but that's it. But I'm not a real developer yet in React, <laughs> but I'm getting there. It's very hard to change, but yeah, you have to do it. And now we've just, we've just pretty much, it's secret, but we've pretty much got Angular support going on. I don't know if I'm going to have to jump in and start doing Angular stuff. I hope not because I don't think my brain can cope with more, <laughs> but that's what a developer advocate has to do. They have to be able to just be thrown in and take a challenge and just learn it. And it's great fun. I'm glad I did it because I think I've become a better developer for having done it. And I think I'm now, I can now relate to more developers. Whereas before I really could only relate to the Vue community. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Vue community are amazing. But I could never have related to the React community before because I had not worked with React. So now I have that kind of connection with other people and think that really helps as well as a developer advocate. Even if you're not very good at it, just to know and experience it is important. I've actually been very lucky that I've been on many calls with the React Core team. And I have to say, they're some of the nicest people out there. And I always thought the same, like the Vue community, the Vue, Vue is the best. And I love my Vue community and I will never, ever leave my Vue community. I told my job that I'm never leaving Vue. But I'm in the React community now and I'm really happy to be part of it because I've got to actually know the people. And just because they have this company behind them, They've had to like take a lot of stick from people because people think they have, they're a big team and they've got a lot of money because there's a corporate behind them. And that's not the case. They're just developers like us. They're just developers like the Vue community. I think they're amazing people and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them and get to know them better. So yeah, they're great people. I don't know about the Angular ones though. I haven't, got, haven't met them one yet. <laughs> I guess like, we can all just be like, no, it's the Angular community. That's the problem here. <laughs> just kidding. We love all developers. <laughs> It's just so much easier <laughs> to make fun of them. Having worked in all three communities, I feel like they're just like different flavors. Like what's that ice cream, Neapolitan or something, you know, where you get like yeah. vanilla and chocolate and strawberry. Yeah. Does anyone have any final thoughts or questions before we move on to picks? Ari, when are you going to apply for a job as a developer advocate? Never. <laughs> no. Never say never, but not in the near future. I really do truly love where I work right now. So did you enjoy the react oh wait no wrong show <laughs> it should be just all the one let's just put it all together let's just call it enjoy the react view <laughs> then we're, then we're I'm, waiting, I'm the waiting for the people. pun come on <laughs> no i'm i'm just thinking <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the patreon now <laughs> We'll, say, we'll, we'll make that be the, uh, we'll hold that and we'll just keep that recording separate. And it'll be, only. yeah, it'll be the blackmail bit that we use when we need Tessa to do things. Tessa already <laughs> does all the things. Come on now. She does already do all the things. <laughs> so what am I saying? If people would like to find you on the internet, Debbie, where can they find you? 
I live on Twitter. I practically sleep there. Like it's so <laughs> strange, but my life is on Twitter these days. It might change when the world is more normal and you might find me at conferences in the future. But for now, you'll find me at Twitter. Debbie.codes is my website and all the links are at the bottom of that. And I do have a YouTube channel and lots of Nux stuff is on that. So if you do want to learn Nux, it's free content. So go and learn Nux that way. And I'm also doing obviously bit stuff on my Twitch channel and YouTube channel. I haven't been doing much YouTube and Twitch lately. Sorry, people, but I've been just like so busy doing other stuff. So I haven't met my KPIs there. <laughs> but um, That's okay. You'll write them at the end. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say just go to my website, debbie.codes, and you'll find everything there. And just reach out to me on Twitter if you want anything. I'm quite happy to talk to people. So, you know, just talk to me. She is quite friendly. I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> You have a room full of you. Isn't that all you need? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I started putting ads just the other day. I made three euros. I was so happy. I put ads <laughs> on my YouTube channel. I've never done that. And I felt really guilty. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible doing this. And then I went, I got three euros. And I was like, yes, someone bought me a beer. So people who are watching my Nooks videos are buying me beer. And my beer supply is going to get better and better. So watch my Nooks content so Debbie can drink more beer. <laughs> Or just like send her a six pack. I should think. <laughs> oh, you can totally do that. I even have a button at the bottom saying buy me a beer. There and you, you can actually go and buy me a beer. There's so many options. I just like beer. I miss <laughs> going to the conferences and pubs and people buy me beer. It's not been happening and it's destroyed my life. Oh, <laughs> well, hopefully we'll help you pick up the pieces soon. <laughs> Yay. Watch my Nooks videos. Buy me beer. <laughs> I don't want to mess All right. Let's move on to this week's picks. Who's going to go first? Tessa. Okay, I guess I'm first. So my first pick for the week is I replaced the casters on my chair with rollerblade casters. I think Wes Boss talked about it a few years ago, and somebody else popped up on my TL having tried it recently. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. We've talked on the show before about how I have hair. So one of my big headaches is like if hair gets caught in the casters, it's hard to get it out. It's hard to roll anywhere. And you know how when you try to like roll in a little circle with the casters, there's always a point where it doesn't roll smoothly. And that always makes me really upset. So it's like maybe things will be better with the rollerblade wheels. So I mean, I can share the specific model I bought, but I think it's just one of those like random, not a real brand. I got the axle wheels in polyurethane because I heard it's like more durable, but polyurethane or PVC will be very quiet or rubber will be a bit louder. But I wish I went with the PVC or the rubber maybe because these are pretty quiet, but also it does the wheels don't have like a cushy feeling, which I thought I was going to get for some reason. It's a very smooth, gross feeling. You feel like you're gliding. I picked this particular brand because it came in milk tea and I was like, that matches my chair because my chair hardware is bronze, but they don't necessarily have the highest durability rating. And it took me over an hour to get these casters off and replace them. Alex will say it's because they have weak fingers. I don't know why it was so hard, but it was really hard. So <laughs> maybe I would have gone with more durable ones if I knew. So that's pick number one. Pick number two, I have been plagued with fruit flies. And I kept on reading that the best way to get rid of them is a vacuum. But my vacuum is big and bulky, so I didn't do it. I was like, am I really going to buy like a Dyson or something just for these fruit flies? And I ended up buying a small black and decker. And I finally see the end of the tunnel. Like I only see one or two fruit flies a day now. It's amazing. There's a method for dealing with fruit flies that has been passed down in my family. So a little bit of wine and dish soap in a glass attracts them and kills them. Mm. Yeah, I don't have wine, but I've tried everything else. Like They won't (laughs) even go for like a banana soaked in apple cider vinegar. So I have used this method personally, and it is highly effective. You know, I have them too as well, but I don't think they're actually 
fruit flies. I think they're coming from the drains. So I actually put a, you know, them stopper things in the drain all the time. And I put sellotape at, you know, the part where the water can, you know, if it overflows. So if I, I ever fill it, it's, it's going to overflow my kitchen. But anyway, and also I put like the, you know, the cloth and the like sponge in a Tupperware thing. So they can't get on that as well. And they have disappeared. Try it. Amazing. Yeah, I think mine might be coming from the drain too, but they're definitely fruit flies because sometimes you have drain flies. Do we need to do an episode on fruit flies? <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely get drain flies a lot here in the summer because it gets yeah. very warm and they and very moist everywhere. So please, no, not the yeah. N word. Yes. <laughs> anyway, as I tweeted the other day, nature abhors a vacuum and it's been working great. They really hate it. It's Yeah. <laughs> So my last two will be a lot quicker. I've been listening to this book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. I saw it recommended on some YouTube video that showed up on my timeline. I think it was like an Anna Accounta video. And I was like, oh, I like those bullet points. And it's nice because it, it talks about talking and listening. And I don't think it's only about kids, although it does make me reflect back on my childhood. Like a while ago, I talked about that like critical inner voice book. And this is very similar where it's like, if somebody responded to you in this way, how would you feel? Or how would you speak to somebody to make them feel invalidated or to make them feel heard? So. It's pretty fun. I guess that's a weird thing to say about a book on communication. The last one, actually, this is something I found out about when I was working in a store, but I completely forgot they existed. My absolute favorite candy is from Round Trees, and it's called Fruit Gums, and they're like hard fruit-flavored gummies. No artificial flavors or colors. They're a little bit sour, a little bit sweet, and because they're harder, it takes a long time to go through them. They're the best. I got mine from the English Tea Store. I'm waiting for their arrival, and that's my last pick. Wait, hard gummies so sort of like swedish fish like that no they're harder than swedish fish how (laughs) and also swedish fish are very sweet the fruit gums are much less sweet sorry i'm still (laughs) processing (laughs) they also come in a little green box they're super cute try them then you'll understand okay yeah perhaps someday i shall until then i trust you let's move on to alice (laughs) of course i trust you tessa May not always agree with your taste, but I trust that other people will also enjoy it. (laughs) Just not me. All right, Alex. All right. So when we're recording this, it has recently been Prime Day. And so I bought You sound like you're reading the news. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I have it here. We're going to read about this. Um, So I bought for myself an Elgato Stream Deck, which is this little 15-key keyboard that has LCDs on it so that you can change what the buttons are. And I was getting it because I'm starting to do more stuff on Twitch. And so I was like, I need a way to be able to like handle some keystrokes and stuff like that. I started setting it up and I am using it for everything. It is amazing. You can do you set it, it to flush your toilet. Not yet, but <laughs> give me ideas. So we'll make that happen. Just randomly flush the toilet from down here. Yeah, it is one of those things where like you don't think that you need it until you get it. And then you're like, well, there's like all these weird key commands that I have to remember. Let me just set up a profile for that. Well, and then there's these other key commands. Let me just set up another. And like now I have 15 folders of different things that I can do depending on what's going on. It's fantastic. So yeah, that is my pick for this week is the Elgato Stream Deck. I agree with that. It is fantastic. I have one too. And I use it all the time, all day, turning on lights, turning off lights, opening emails. I just don't have yeah. to find things anymore. It's just click, click, click. It's just cool. And it's shiny. And even my husband loves it. He's like, oh, this is so cool. 
All right, Debbie, you're up next. Yeah, so I got this morning access to GitHub Copilot, and it is amazing. What is it? It's like, you know, when we're talking about junior developers, well, junior developers are going to be senior developers in a week. I'm going to be a React senior developer next week because it's literally like doing the job for me. I'm just starting to code and it's just telling me what I need to do. It's AI. It's brilliant. It's just in VS Code and I'm just typing along and all of a sudden my job is done and I'm like, wow, like it's more clever than me. And I mean, I'm pretty clever. This is <laughs> this is out of this world. So yeah, it's still like you've got to sign up for it if you want access to it and you you might get access. I was privileged enough to get access and I have to say it is incredible. I'm going to do a stream on it. I'm going to do videos on it, but I think definitely it's going to take over the world and uh, we're going to need less knowledgeable developers, but we're going to be able to get code shipped faster. And I think that's very exciting. It's not going to take over the Debbie world as in like take over our job. <laughs> Debbie React O'Brien. <laughs> I'll always be a Nookster though. Like remember, like Nooks has to live in there somewhere. So it could be Debbie React Nookster O'Brien or Nooks React or something. <laughs> we, we can figure the order out. That's okay. But yeah, and TypeScript. I got TypeScript in my name now these days. Bloody hell. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's so, yeah, definitely check out GitHub Copilot is amazing. And I'm also watching on Netflix a series called The Startup. And it's actually been really good fun because it's about these people who go to startup and in a tech startup and it's a gen coin. It's about a, like a Bitcoin kind of thing. And the funny thing is that like the um, investors asking them why gen coin, like why should we invest in this company? What is it like? Why is it important? And it's so funny because like we're trying to figure out the same in, in the air company at the moment. Not that like we don't know what we are, just it does so many things that we're like trying to like figure out a way of simplifying it and say like, you know what, why do we build this? We built it for this, this, or this, and this. No, we built it for, this is the problem we're trying to solve. It's just, I can relate so much to it because we're like, oh my God, we're the same as these. We're looking for investor. We're looking for this. And it's like, it's really, really cool. So definitely recommend that. Debbie, this wasn't on your list, but I know that you've had your headphones for a while now. So I'm curious how they've held up and how much you're enjoying them. Oh my gosh, yes, I should talk about it. Right, so I have the most expensive headphones in the world on my head. I think they are the most expensive anyway. The Apple AirPod Max, they are the best things I have ever had when it comes to headphones. And I hated headphones before because they hurt my head. They gave me headaches. They never fit my head. The ones that go in your ear, they fall out of my ear. Then they just give me pain in my ear. So I refused to wear headphones and then work gave out to me because we were having like constant meetings. So I was like, okay, these headphones I put on my head in the morning. I forget to take them off because I just don't even realize that they're there. And it's so nice. And there's like a little button you can press, right? So then I don't hear anything that's going on around me right now. I just hear what's in my ear, which is you three, which is amazing. But my husband could be singing in the shower and I don't know about it. Their children could be playing in the park and I don't know about it. And I live in a very noisy area but I didn't realize that until I bought these and like my macbook I don't need a new mac anymore because it doesn't make any noise anymore it, it does <laughs> but I just don't hear it <laughs> so they're amazing they are definitely worth it but especially if you do a lot of video editing and things like that where you really need to concentrate I think I focus a lot more now whereas before I was like working and then like oh the birds are singing da, da, da. oh yeah sorry birds okay <laughs> and now I'm like much more focused so definitely they're amazing I just have one question. Yeah. How's the headband? Because so the thing that gets me about most headphones is actually they hurt the top of my head. Yeah. Like my scalp yeah. is really sensitive. Yeah, no. So this is kind of clothy kind of material, right? So it does have that hard bit, but the part that's sitting in your head 
and it kind of shapes oh. to your head. So that's why it's really comfortable for anyone's head, right? And before, I try- swear to God, I would get on a plane and I would not be able to wear it for the length of a, an entire movie. I would not be able to sit with, I'd be like taking them off going, oh, I literally could do eight hours with these on my head. And then I'm like, I'm about to go to bed. And I'm like, oh, my headphones, I need to take them <laughs> off. <laughs> Did you try them on in store or just take like a leap of faith? Because the only ones that I've ever been able to wear for more than like six hours are the Samsung over ears. And then they stopped making them. Yeah. So I did try them on in the store and the Apple girl was trying to sell me by the 80 music and she's like playing and I was like, look, this music is amazing, but I don't listen to music. If I'm buying these headphones, it's so I can have noise cancellation and also so I can work and listen to people or just doing podcasts or conference talks online where I need to give my talk and I don't want to hear the distractions outside me because there's a lot of distractions in my area. And yeah, I tried them on. And the thing was in a busy store and you know, like the Apple stores are like, right? So it's a busy store and she pressed that button and I was like, where'd all the people go? Oh my God. Like the difference was incredible. So I thought if in the Apple store with lots of people, that noise is taken away, then it's going to take away my Mac noise. It's going to take away the birds singing. I love the birds singing, but not all day in my ear. And uh, (laughs) the children on the street and everything else that goes around and my husband singing in the shower. And yeah, The, the only problem I have is, I don't always hear the doorbell anymore. So sometimes the Amazon mm. man gets a little bit angry with me and he ends up having to call me. But other than that, it's fine. <laughs> so you really told her, listen, I don't want to listen to any music. I just want to hear me all day. Me. Yeah, I want to hear me all day. Isn't that so cool? <laughs> <laughs> but I did bring it to a hotel. We did go to a hotel at the weekend and I brought them and I did listen to music and I sat by the pool and all the people by the pool disappeared. And it was just me looking at the pool, listening to the music. It was like all these people were all quiet and nobody was talking. It was so amazing because it was like very relaxing. It's cool. Can't wait to try them on a plane. All right. So my pick is a lot less expensive. (laughs) (laughs) For the past couple of weeks, I have been playing Cozy Grove, which is sort of like a kind of a Stardew Valley meets Animal Crossing-ish type game. Yeah, I've been playing it for a couple of weeks. The one thing that is a little different about it is that it really is sort of time boxed. So like you kind of start to run out of things to do after a certain amount of time played each day, which is good if you're the type of person who gets really addicted to games and then just plays them nonstop. This kind of encourages you to not play for after a while. Unless, of course, you want to time travel, but it does also say that that could cause problems, so you, you shouldn't do that. No, not that I've done that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Cozy Grove. I know it's available on Switch. I think it's on iPhones even now. I'm not sure. I'm guessing it's mobile because they made some of my favorite yeah. mobile games. Yeah, I know it's on the Apple Arcade now, so I'm assuming it's probably on like most platforms. I've just sent the link to my wife because I feel like <laughs> she's going to enjoy this greatly. So, Oh, yeah. And it's funny you should say gravely because it's about ghosts on an island. <laughs> 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 so there we go. All right. And that is all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, you really should be. You can find us at Enjoy the Viewcast. It would make us feel really special if you did. I mean, you can mute us afterwards. Just follow us. Like, that's all we ask. (laughs) And if you haven't already subscribed to the show on whatever podcast app you're using, please do. And please leave us a review. It makes it easier for other people to find us in the future. And if you know anyone who might enjoy 
the view, <laughs> uh, you should tell them about this podcast because the more people who listen, the longer we can keep doing this and make people happy. So thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. Bye. So you haven't heard from me for a while. I started a thing a while ago where people were sending all sorts of feedback and sometimes stuff not even related to the show to at Gloomy Loomy. You need to stop. If you have feedback, we have a link in the show notes. Send your feedback there. We want to hear from you. You can make the show better. You know, tell us what you want to hear more of and who you want to hear from. Okay, that's it. Thank you.